Today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy. Whether you're new to making or looking to advance skills in a favorite hobby, Craftsy is the place to learn. With over 1,500 classes, there's something for everyone, from knitting and sewing to baking and cooking, gardening, embroidery, quilting, and more. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a full year of Craftsy Premium Membership for just $3. That's 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 223 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about quilting and teaching quilting with my guest, Sandra Chandler. Sandra Lee Chandler embarked on her teaching career 38 years ago at Santa Ana Community College. She now teaches at many national shows, including Quilt Canada, Stitches West, Quilt Con, Festival of Quilts, and Squam, as well as teaching a weekly virtual quilting class through Saddleback Community College. Sandra's work has been published in numerous magazines, and she has made several television appearances as well that have helped to launch her career to new heights. Sandra's core materials for quilting are thread and fabric. However, she often employs recycled denim, yarns, dyed fabrics, and stamps to transform the ordinary into the extraordinary. Sandra is especially known for her repurposed denim quilts and wearable art quilted garments. Sandra Chandler, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was so great to get a little chance to hang out with you at H&H Americas not too, too long ago. Um, that was awesome. And and you lent us a gorgeous denim quilt to hang in our booth where we had a big empty spot. And we so appreciate it. You're like, I'll just run out to my car and grab you a quilt. And it was like the best thing ever. So I'm so grateful to you. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. You know, it's it was one of those when I was packing you know how you go over that last packing list and you're like, okay, I got everything for the class. I got everything. And, you know, literally I just, for some reason I was like, wait a minute, you don't have a denim quilt with you. Even though I wasn't teaching any denim quilt classes or workshops, I was like, nope, you're known for denim. You need to put a denim quilt in there. So clearly the universe knew that you were going to need it. Exactly. And it was so perfect. It actually matched our colors and everything. So yeah, that was awesome. So um, so I know you are a California girl. Um, you were born in Los Angeles and then raised in Orange County. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what your household was like growing up. Were you creative? Were your parents creative? So what's really interesting is um, I hear all these people and they talk about my, you know, I, I grew up in a family of creative people and the color was all around me. And and I'm kind of like, yeah, that wasn't my story. <laughs> um, so I grew up in a household um, with a mother and a father. And I have a sister who's much younger than I am. And my grandmother, um, who was my mother's mother, um, was very, very close to us. And I, she's like a second mother. Um, she actually sewed and created. But by the time I was old enough to 
to know and see, she kind of had stopped creating. I remember her occasionally sewing some things, but I wasn't really, you know, I was a kid and I was pretty young um, and didn't really notice, you know, a whole bunch. I knew she had a sewing machine. I saw the needles. I remember the pinking shears, but that's about it. And then um, my mother and father were corporate people. My mother was a teacher and my father works in the corporate world and um, they aren't creative. Neither one of them was. Um, and so I feel like it missed, it skipped that generation, the creativity. And I did not know I was creative until I went to seventh grade home economics. Ah, that's great. Yeah. I love home economics. So what happened so, when you yeah. got to home economics? Um, literally the skies parted. Ah. Like, literally it was like, oh, and the angels were like, we've been waiting for you. Um, I had a home economics teacher, like everybody has a home economics teacher that was known for being very stern, very, I mean, at times she yelled, um, she was very exact. Um, but for me, growing up in a household that was pretty um, conservative and my parents were pretty, um, you know, we were just conservative. I grew up going to Catholic schools all the way up to middle school. So I was used to the regiment. I was used to like sternness. I was right. used to this is right and this is wrong. And I believe what happened was because I had no background, many of the students that I went to school with in middle school, their mothers were um, Susie homemakers. And that was not my mother. Um, my mother does not like cooking. So I never, she never baked. She cooked dinner for us, but you know, that was because she had to. And so when I got to home economics, I didn't come with a bag of like tricks or like my mother taught me this or my right. taught me this. And I think what what, what attract, attracted her to me was that I was an empty slate. Like I was like, you tell me to stitch four stitches, I'm going to stitch four stitches. You tell me, you know, whatever it was you tell me to do, I'm going to do it and I'm going to take it as, as face value. And so for home economics, for me, it was my safe space. It was my haven. At the time, I grew up in Orange County and I was one of, um, I think there was four other African-Americans at my high school. And in my middle school, there was only one other African-American. Oh, wow. And so I was very isolated. And sewing has always been my safe haven. It was where I could be me. I could just almost like exhale. Mm. And so during my course of learning how to sew, because again, I knew nothing, she actually sat me at the L now. So they had the singer machines, but for some reason she took me and said, you get to sit at the L now. And I'm like, okay. Even though I didn't know what Elna versus singer versus anything, but for, she saw something in me. And this is what, how teachers are so important in our lives uh, of our young people. She spoke into me before I even knew what I needed to have spoken into. Um, she taught me about nutrition. My mother was, you know, the modern era where all of our vegetables were from a can. Um, she's, she was that woman. She's like, I'm not going to cook for, you know, half the day for dinner. And so I remember going home and saying, Mom, do you know vegetables can actually be um, sweet? <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny because my mother's grandmother, my great grandmother, was a farmer. And my mother went to the farm every summer. So she knew what fresh vegetables looked like. I just didn't know what fresh vegetables looked like. So in home economics, like I said, I instantly fell in love with fabric. I instantly fell in love with the creativity that you could have. I was horrible. My first dress, the zipper was broke by the time I got the zipper in the dress. Um, just, I mean, I was, everything you could do wrong, I did wrong. Um, but I still loved it. Like, I was just like, I'm in love. At the same time, my mother's best friend um, was at a charity organization and she won 
uh, free um, classes to learn how to quilt. Oh. So literally in the same exact month, I learned how to sew clothing and I learned how to quilt. So your mom's friend gave you the, the classes yeah. or she took you with her? No, she gave them to she me. She just gave them to you. She didn't really want she them. heard that I was like... Oh, I see. Right. That I, enjoyed, so that I was enjoying sewing. And so she gave them to me. And what's so interesting about that is I remember sitting in... I was, again, so blessed and fortunate. Our quilt shop in my local town, the lady, um, Fraser's Fabric, never will forget it. I didn't know this, but she had a love for fabric because you went in and the fabrics were... They were amazingly beautiful, especially in the 70s. I was going to say, because quilting at that time was really different, you know, just the way that it was done than it is now. Exactly. But for this lady, I remember the brilliance of the colors of even the fabrics that she used. So what I found out was she actually, her husband was a doctor. So um, it wasn't like she had to worry about every penny. Right. So she was able to... Um, buy fabrics that she loved and not really have to worry about like, you know, are they going to, you know, be profitable and, and that. So she had fabrics all over. I sat at this little round table with all these ladies, these little old gray haired ladies and here little African American <laughs> um, sitting there and they're talking about templates and plastic templates and sandpaper and, you know, putting like, all the hard stuff that you used to have to do. And I just remember sitting there thinking I had died and gone to heaven. So quickly after that, I went through that, went through the classes. And the next year I went to high school and I took sewing classes every semester after that. It's amazing that your high school offered sewing classes. Because again, even with home economics, I feel like those things are gone now. Yeah, I was just blessed. Yeah. Like I said, I took every class and I just, I lived in my own world. I literally lived in my own world. So um, let's go forward. I graduate from high school. I go to college. I'm like, the only thing I know I really know well is sewing. So I decided to major in home economics, textiles, and marketing. And you went to um, to college in Arizona. Yes. So went to Arizona State. Um, so I know everything from growing the plant to manufacturing the fabric, growing the plant and weaving and all that, spinning, weaving. And then I also know everything from... Um, um, dyeing the yarns to man-made, you know, what does that look like, to bringing it to market, to marketing the product. Um, after college, I was a buyer for Bullock's Department Stores. and oh. I where, is, where is Bullock's Department Stores? Bullock's was, a was um, you, well, Macy's purchased Bullock's. Oh, okay, okay. It used to be Bullock's, and we had Bullock's Wilshire, and we had uh, Robinson's May. All of those have been eaten up and sure. bought up by, yeah. you know, yeah. the big... People. Okay, so you were a buyer. Were you buying for their fabric department or a different? Oh, buying for the clothing. So clothing. Okay. Young attitude. We used to call it juniors. Young attitude. Young attitude. Oh my god, that's the best. Right. So yeah. you were you were buying for young attitude, and so yeah. um, because you had had this sort of textiles, fashion background, you were qualified to do that. Right. And so um, at the same time, I was realizing the people that are higher up are the ones that um, make the money and they were Jewish men. And I'm like, well, I'm black and I'm not a man. So there's probably a glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working really, really hard hours and long hours and stability wasn't there and the money wasn't there. And so I decided to pivot and go out um, out of retail. Um, but at the same time, my home economics teacher jumped back in my life right after college and said, you will teach 
um, a class. And I know the guy that runs all the classes in the local town. Um, and you'll go talk to John and tell John I sent you and he you will start teaching. I started teaching quilting classes the same year I graduated from college. So this is your home economics teacher from seventh grade. Yes. And she kept in touch with you. Yes. Wow. So were you guys just like writing and it was an email like were you just calling or writing letters or something in between? So you know what I don't I can't remember how she kept in like she was one of these people that always would just reach out to me. Yeah. Be like where'd you come from? <laughs> right. And so she, she, she was like, Oh, you got this degree. You should teach. And was, was she, did she point you to, was John at like a community college or what yeah. was it? Or a quilt shop? He was over the parks and recreation. Oh, right. Okay. All right. So you started teaching and were you teaching quilting? Yes. Okay. So you were teaching quilting right out of college. Yes, 1984. In 84, which for folks who aren't sort of up on kind of the more modern era of quilting, that was early, early days. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool, Sandra. Okay. So, um, so you were teaching quilting there and, um, and then, and, and working as a buyer, but sort of not so sure that that was a a good long-term career path for you. Um, did you eventually quit that full-time job and, and dive fully into teaching? No. So then I always had a day job. I ended up having four children. Um, I ended up always kind of working part time within, you know, teaching sporadically. And then one year my I wasn't working. Uh, my kids were all at home and my girlfriend says, hey, we can teach at the junior college. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah, there's this program. And she goes, and we get really good money for an hour. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah. And so I started teaching 24 years ago for the junior colleges okay. in Southern California. Okay. And it's called the Emeritus Program. And it's a California funded program to help seniors stay active. So there's no grades. Um, they come to class, we get paid because of attendance. And I you have to you could you have to teach in the major in which you have a degree in. And it's very hard to find home economics teachers. And so they're always really happy to see me. They're like, yes, you have a home economics degree. And when you say seniors stay active, do you mean seniors in college or seniors like older people? Seniors, older people. Okay. And so the teachers are meant to be seniors who are older people? No, the participants. The the, participants. Okay. But the way it's written, you just have to be 18 or over. Like, so I guess because of legal issues, they couldn't say like a senior is this or whatever. The grant is, is the money is supposed to be for seniors, people that are, you know, retired and older. But as long as you're 18 years or over, you can attend. You qualify. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you started teaching in that program. The money was better yes. and you had four kids. So that worked for your lifestyle. Right. And so I started teaching. Um, and then about 15 years ago, I think that's when I um, was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take this on the road. And I wasn't working at, at the time. And my children, two of them had already graduated from college. And I'm like, I'm just going to see what this is like. Um, and I was still teaching through the colleges, but I just started going on the internet. And that's when I discovered the Modern Quilt Guild. And I was like, modern? Wait, that's not modern. That's old. That's just old, old. Like, what they consider modern is just old, old. But anyway, and I just started like posting things like that I made. And then um, I remember Alexander Henry reached out to me and commissioned me to do some dresses for them for their, sh- for their booth for um, uh, Houston. Uh, at market. And then companies started um, reaching out to me through my Instagram. Feed. Do you do you remember the very first sort of um, online introduction to the quilting world? I know the Modern Quilt Guild 
was part of it. But do you remember, was there a specific, you know, blog or image or tutorial or something that kind of stands out to you as like, oh, that was the first thing I saw online that really like struck me? So I didn't, I, I didn't really, I didn't have one thing that struck me. I think it was the, how quilters were coming out of the closet period. And I don't think I would, I don't categorize myself as a modern quilter. I would consider myself a contemporary quilter, meaning that um, I have a lot of elements. I, I, I still am traditional. Like when you're born and raised and taught something, it's hard to like break out of that. I still have a lot of traditional um, elements that I, that I put into my creations. Um, and I do remember one of the biggest pivots for me was um, a gal, what was it called? Um, so Mama So, I think it is. Yeah. She um, did a, like, people to watch. Okay. She highlighted me. And I was looking at, you know, I had like 500 followers or, you know, 200 followers, something like that, really low. And all of a sudden, my feet just like blew up. And I was like, what is going on? Like, what is going on? And when she spoke, that was the pivotal moment in my career where it was like, I'm here. Wow. Doing what I always did. For me, it was like, I wake up in the morning and I would create like it was a job. I'd wake up in the morning, figure out what my inspiration is. What am I going to do? I always tried to organize my thoughts for that year. What do I want to say? What materials do I want to work on? And then I would just do it. And at that point, um, was kind of like, aha. And so what, what kind of like private work? I mean, I know you were teaching, obviously you were raising children, which is a very full-time job, but what kind of private work were you making, you know, just as your own creative expression in those years? So that's when I started, um, doing the denim. Like I literally, there, again, for me, it was like, you know what, Sandra, all these years, for 30 some years, you've been buying patterns and trying to match the fabric. And I, at that moment, I was like, no, I need to use the resources which I have at my house. What are my resources? And I looked down, I had these, these Tupperware bins of denim. And I said, you know, you're always giving this denim away. What can you do with this denim? How can you create with this denim the way it's never been created before? And so I did, I do a lot of research and I looked at, you know, the past, what people had done with denim. And I said, you know what? I want to change how we look at it. Repurposed instead of looking and saying, oh, that's a pair of jeans. And, and she made it into a purse. I want you to see the purse or see the quilt or see the garment and then go, right. That was repurposed denim. So I wanted to flip the switch, the switch. So what I did was I said, I've got to look at this denim as if it was a fabric line. And that's what I do. Yeah, I, that's a know. fascinating way to look at it. And and if you look at your denim quilts, especially when they're laid on a bed, that definitely comes through. And so, um, so you were, you know, you had denim from, was that from like discarded jeans from, from that your kids had grown out of? Or what were these denim Tupperware bins that you were giving away? Where did that denim come from? My kids. It was my family's. Yeah. Okay. And so um, I started out deconstructing everything. I don't dis- deconstruct everything anymore. Um, I don't do anything with any stretch in it. I don't use any denim with stretch. I don't deconstruct children's jeans. It takes just as long to deconstruct a pair of children's jeans as it right. does a fat. Because you're or- really deconstructing, which is why right. you're getting this effect. So you're saying that, you know, a lot of upcycled denim projects – 
the maker intentionally kind of leaves the rivets and the pockets and some of the stitching and things like that in place so that when you see it, you're like, oh, that's so cool. It's like somebody's jeans that they've made into XYZ. But you're really taking everything apart. Right. So um, so my first couple quilts, there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, people talk about needles. I've used every single needle. People talk about thimbles. I've gone through every single type of thimble. Um, thread weight, every type of uh, thread, um, threads and or pearl cotton. Like I literally fell in every hole. Um, and sometimes I climbed out and sometimes I didn't. And so I would consider myself... Um, a uh, authority on handling denim. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Craftsy. And here is a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you're new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills, we have classes for all maker levels and interests, from knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, paper crafts, and more. Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you can get a whole year of their premium membership for only $3. Visit CraftsyOffers.com to sign up and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. For only $3, you'll get a full year of access to over 1,500 premium full-length classes. It can be challenging to know where to go to learn new things, especially when you're an absolute beginner. Craftsy's instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. If you are an experienced maker and looking for new challenges and fresh projects, Craftsy is for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches, from eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their field. With over 1,500 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a year of Craftsy premium membership for just $3. That's 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at CraftsyOffers.com. Um, and there were a f- maybe a, f- a few other people doing things with denim, but it wasn't, it, there wasn't really like, I mean, this became kind of your, your niche, I would say, um, during that time. And, and you were also, um, if I remember correctly, like you were also altering actual genes. Is that right? Right. So yes. So I do. I love doing modif- I love uh, modification, I guess you would call it. Um, and or, like embellishment or, or something. Yeah. Embellishment. Yeah. And so I started looking at my jeans and going like, okay, so here's a great pair of jeans. What do I want to do with them? How do I want that? How do I want them to look or feel? Um, I started, I, I've always been a hand stitcher. Hand stitching is my thing. It's my um, Zen. You know, people talk about their Zen. Um, the whole idea of the needle holding the metal, um, the piercing, you know how they talk about with the shot, 
it's just one second, it's going to hurt for a second. <laughs> the yeah. needle going arm. Same thing with thread, the needle piercing into the fabric, going between the threads. It's that same kind of tactile feel. Um, the rhythm of, the th- of pulling the threads through all three layers or all two layers, if you're doing a mending, all of that for me is very therapeutic. Um, and so I just started combining my loves, what I love to do and what um, really resonated with me and um, communicating that to others. It's like, hey, you guys, like, do you feel this? Is this, you know, and, and people started responding back in a positive way, like, yeah, you're right. I didn't, I never thought of it that way. So you mentioned that you had Instagram. Did you have a blog first before Instagram? No, no. I am not. I not a so blogger. Not. Okay, right. So you were on um, on Instagram posting some of these things. And I have to tell you that um, So Mama So was started by Kristen Link, and she and I co-founded Craft Industry Alliance together. So yeah. we go way back. Um, but she had a very popular contributor blog, and you know, it had like over a million page views a month or something. And so no wonder, you know, when she would highlight your work, you would get a ton of traffic. So that that must have been really exciting. It was. And, and it's so funny because um, I didn't think of the Internet. Like I again, I was kind of naive. And to think I was like, wait a minute, people really are watching me. It's still to this day. I have to tell you, it still amazes me. Like I was at um, the International Quilt Festival in Long Beach and it cracks me up when people are like, hi, I follow you. And I'm like, where? <laughs> what? Like it is just it, it's it's so interesting because I'm like, oh, and I, I almost don't know how at first I didn't know how to respond back to that. You know, it's like, well, what do you say? And so, I mean, now I usually say like, oh, great. Thank you. Now, what was your name? And, you know, who are you? And da, da, da. But yeah, the Internet, I didn't realize how big the Internet is. Yeah. As far as how deep and people that really take the time. I am not a social media person. Um, I really am not. I am. Um, I don't have the time. I'm trying to um, finish. I'm trying to finish projects. As far, I'm trying to get things done. Yeah, um, you're more focused on the studio work and sort of, and I think that's something a lot of people can relate to, sort of less focused on constantly updating and sharing every little stage with your audience. Right. And I think, and, and there's a part of me, um, I'm kind of really private. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not, there's, I love, I want to share with you my enthusiasm for um, the the art, but there's a private part of me that, you know, yeah. I'm, you're not going to, I'm not going to show you about my kids. First of all, my kids are all adults and um, I feel like they need to tell their own story. Right. It's not my story to tell. So um, maybe on Mother's Day, I'll post about my kids or my boys. People have seen my boys because they're my models for my uh, bomber jacket. Yeah. Because um, I, I threaten them. I'm like, listen, I, I fed y'all. You, you, you <laughs> put this jacket on. Like, but luckily, they like the jackets and they, they really like my clothes. They're like, mom, you're the bomb. Aww. Okay. Um, so I know I hit it. You know, I, I'm doing the right thing when they get excited because they're in their late 20s and mid 20s. And so I'm always trying to. That's an area that I really haven't worked in is men's fashion. Yeah. But now men's fashion is so fascinating because they've really broke down those barriers. Yeah. What colors and what combinations. And I think with I create, what I'm always trying to do is do the unexpected. My whole idea is 
And when I teach and I'm always trying to help um, others to go like, okay, this is what you would expect to do with this piece of fabric or this quilt. Let's pivot. Yeah. And do a little of the unexpected. I love that. Yeah. And it's, it, it kind of like turn, turns everything on its head and yeah. makes everything so much more interesting, sometimes more challenging. Sometimes I'm sure that leads to some yeah. failures, but, um, but it also leads to like remarkable new, new ideas that you never, you know, would have landed on otherwise. So, um, so you talked about how Alexander Henry, which is for folks who aren't familiar, they're a fabric brand, um, reached out to you and you made some samples, it sounds like, for their quilt market booth, which is, you know, the big trade show. And they just found you on Instagram. Is that right? And I know you've got other kind of partnerships with fabric companies or, you know, thread companies or, or other notions and things like that. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about how some of the ones that have been the most successful for you have come about, because I think there's a lot of folks who are like, I would love to collaborate with some of these brands, but I just don't even know how to make it happen. Right. So for me, and this is, you know, everybody has a different walk and everybody, you know, has their own lane. I really believe we all have our own lane. And so the lane for me, at first I used to reach out and I'd apply to the different, you know, shows and I'd apply to different companies and, you know, you spend all this time and then you get the thank you, but not today. And it would bring me down, I would, you know, cause my art is so near and dear to me. It's really, it's really challenging me for even to put my art out there because it's so near to and dear to me. Um, and so um, what I have found is for me, I don't really apply for organizations or for companies um, very much. Most of the time, what I do is I wait for the company to approach me or the organization to approach me because then I have a better success rate of them understanding who I am as an artist and they want what I'm doing. I say that to say, but I have a couple times like uh, Orifil, they have their artisan of the year. And um, what's I love the community. I love the, the creative community because I'm always getting these emails or text messages or uh, instant messages or direct messages or whatever you want to call them. And they're like, Sandra, you should apply to this. Sandra, what about this? And I really am one of those people that literally works in my own like workshop. And I really don't know about half the stuff that goes on. And so they're my little like helpers that tell me what to do. And uh, one person reached out and said, hey, you know, Orifel, you should apply. And I did apply. And I was one of their artisans. I believe it was three years ago. And it was really fun to work with the company. So that's how I got attached to the Orifel. Um, the uh, Hoffman Fabrics was the first company that ever reached out to me and said, hey, we'd love to sponsor some fabric for you, for you to create with. And the relationship started at Quilt Market. Um, I was talking to Aaron, yeah, who works for uh, Hoffman, and um, I actually approached him because of his tattoos. <laughs> Nothing to do with Ah, oh, that's awesome. Um, he has um, some arm tattoos, and my sons were interested in getting some tattoos. Both of them um, were in college at the time, and their college they were college athletes. And I'm like, okay, they're going to get tattoos. I need to understand all the I need to know about these tattoos and like, you know, good ones. And so I actually started a conversation with him about his tattoos. That's so funny. And so that goes to show building relationships. What I would tell anybody is building relationships with people that you have things in common with or that you kind of see eye to eye is, I think, the best way 
in order to develop relationships and, you know, have collaborations. That's how I go about everything. It's like, hey, who are you? Here's what I do. Oh, can you know, do we have some common interests? And if we're, you know, if our lanes are going down the same path, then, you know, I'm, I'm always the first to say, let's co- collaborate. Because I always feel like two, four eyes are better than two. Absolutely. And also you were there in person. I think that that makes a difference as well. Like you went to Quilt Market in person. And so you happened to stumble upon Aaron from Hoffman Fabrics, noticed that he had these tattoos and and strike up a conversation, which, um, you know, it's it's pretty hard to do that via, you know, Zoom or email or something. Yes. So that first Quilt Market I went to, I went with a brag book also. So because I had a, a professional um, career prior to diving into quilting, I had some marketing skills. Like I already knew like, okay, how are you going to market yourself? What do you want to look like? How, you know, yeah. So when I went to quilt market, I already had in mind, I wore an outfit that I had made every day. I had a little brag book that was just like, I, I made it Costco. I had like a coupon for Costco and, and it was just pictures. And I, just kind of threw it together real quickly of some stuff that I had made in kind of different categories. And I just was like, you know what, you're going to put yourself out there. You're going to, you know, introduce yourself. You're going to say, Hey, would you like to see my book? And I was told, you know, most people are really busy at market. They're trying to write orders. And I was like, okay, then I won't feel bad. I never went up to one person that was like, no, I don't have time. In fact, I was always like, okay, you don't have to look through all the book. And they were like, no, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Wow. That's great. Yeah. So I would tell somebody um, I had a goal of, you know, meeting people, um, connecting with some people. Um, and I can tell you, every time I went to market um, as a um, independent creator, that I always ended up working or having some type of um positive influence on my career from just going to market. Right. And you got to get out there and go to the trade shows and talk to people. It's just so important. Yes. You know, like your H and H, um, America's, um, I went to that one, you know, and I was there and there was one, one company, I think they're from like Germany, if I remember correctly. And they had the beautiful, um, fabrics they were printed on. Yes. I know who you're talking about amazing and I was like oh my god those are beautiful they are beautiful like they might have been from the Netherlands those folks yes yeah and the guys are like beautiful and I was like oh okay and so I would walk past and and, but they were sitting down at a table so note to vendors never sit at a table (laughs) in your open and friendly yeah 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 that is not come on in let's talk to you like but they said that's how they do it in their country so I ended up talking to them so I went past. So finally, one day I was like, oh, my gosh, I love your fabrics. Do you guys ever, you know, do you guys have influencers? Um, you know, do you ever, you know, do any collaboration? Or like the one gentleman, he's like, no, I'm sorry, we really don't. But we continued to talk, me and a girlfriend. We were like, oh, OK. You know, and we just started talking off just whatever. And by the end of the conversation, 15 minutes later, the other gentleman who must have been the lead guy, he goes, give her a couple panels. Ah, nice. <laughs> so I ended up coming home with three of their amazing panels that I told him, I said, hey, I'm booked up for this year, but I guarantee you I will be posting, yeah. you know, I'll be making an outfit. So even when people say no, that doesn't mean no. Like that may just mean not this minute. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it may, right, exactly. No often means not right now for various right. different reasons. But right. 
Um, but I love that you hung out there and stuck, and, you know, stuck around. And, and when you were in our booth, a, a guy from, um, I want to say Diamond Needle yes. came up and he was like, Hey, and he started yeah. chatting with you and he's like, let me send you some needles. <laughs> so. yeah, he actually did. And I have them and I haven't, again, I kind of chart out my year yeah. and this is what I would tell everybody, you know, at first I didn't chart out my year and I always felt like I was running in a hamster wheel. Um, now I chart out my year by quarters. And so when I go to things, I tell people like, hey, you know, whatever you're giving or whatever we're working with or whatever collaboration, I'll put you for next year. But yeah. this year has already been, you know, booked. Um, so, yes, he sent me all these needles. And I'm, now I have to do research to figure out what, what to do with them all. I know. I mean, but it's cool. You know, you, you get exposed to different materials and sometimes that leads to something new. So um, so I think that, that that lesson of kind of in-person connection is really important. And I wanted to talk a little bit about quilt clothes because um, mm-hmm. you were at Long Beach, which is a, um, a consumer show that um, Quilts Inc. puts on. And I think it was on their Facebook page the other day. Yeah. I noticed that... Um, <laughs> Right. You would, I think it was a pair of pants, honestly, yes. uh, yes. yellow quilt, quilted quilt blocks, you know, that were pants and, and, and a lot of positive comments, you know, mind you that were there. Oh, these are so cool, etc. And then one person was like, I hate to see this. You're cutting up a perfectly good quilt and ruining it or something like this. And, and you were like, actually, no. So, you know, quilt clothes, um, obviously quilt coats have kind of, been a topic of conversation of late and and you've been doing them for a long long time so I wanted to ask you about your feelings about quilt clothes so what's really interesting um back in um it was oh my gosh it was oh the magazine is called quilt folk yeah when they came to southern california so that was what 3 years ago maybe um, and what was interesting when they came to California, they out, re- reached out to me, said, Hey, we'd love to interview you. They came to my, my home in my studio. And, um, that was the first time the editors had said they had ever seen. So this was, no, it was more than three years ago. It was four years, probably. They had, cause it was way before COVID. They had ever seen anyone make clothing out of. Oh, interesting. Well, wow. Yes. Which is very interesting because Mary Fonz was the person that reached out to me and said, and she wanted to buy one of my jackets. Which I feel like right because Mary Fonz at that time was the editor of Quilt yeah. Folk, and yeah. so she she was was she there at your studio? Yes. Okay, so she was at your studio and she saw your quilt coats, and she reached out then or later and said, no, "Could I buy one?" She was she had my blazer on and was like, "I want to buy this," and I was like, "No, it's my sample. I, I'm going to teach it." And, and was that one you had made from one of your own quilts that later you were like, oh, I'm going to cut this up? Or was that an antique or old quilt? It was an older quilt. Um, it was hand quilted. So what happened was, again, I'm always thinking about resources and I'm always thinking about education. And um, in my real world, when I was a professional, I never told people I was a quilter. And one of the reasons why is because I feel like quilters have this, like people think of quilters as my granny who sits in the corner and makes these quilts for my bed that some of the family members like and some of them don't because she really doesn't ask us what we want. And I, I, you know, I was like, that's not me. Even when I made clothes and many people that know me uh, personally are like, oh, I bet you made that. My whole goal was to make clothing that didn't look like I made it. So I would always study fashion. Um, 
and always try to reproduce like most people do that. So um, with intention or like I want to beat the odds and I want to make clothes that look like they're bought and ready to wear, not that I made them. Mm -hmm. And so at the time um, I had been introduced to um, these estate sales because I my background's real estate. I still work in the real estate world um, where I work for major corporations, though, now Um, and. I'd gone to these estate sales and one of my students at the time said, hey, Sandra, I'm at this estate sale. You need to come. They have quilts. Now, on a Saturday morning, I don't know about you, but I am not dressed to go to no estate sale. On a Saturday morning, I'm looking pretty hobo-ish. And I was like, really? And I was like, "Uh." and I but this student is an amazing artist herself. And so I knew if she told me I should go, I needed to go. So I go, I put on my pants, you know, put your clothes on, put the baseball hat on, that's that weekend look that we all have. And I drove over to this house and it was the last couple hours of this sale. And this lady must have been um, somebody in the quilting world because they said she had hundreds of quilts. Oh, hundreds. wow. And they had already told all the guilds and they had already gone and bought and got all the quilts they wanted. So I literally bought the last of the last. Like okay. this, were the, these were the quilts nobody wanted. And so I looked at them and they were like amazing, the handwork and the, you know, precise. And I thought, now they were machine stitched, but hand quilted. Right. I thought, you know what? I could buy these three quilts and I can put them in a pile and I can admire them in my house. Or I can make clothing from them, educate the population of this is what, this is the craftsmanship of quilting. Mm. This is what quilting looks like. And bring a whole generation, a whole world of people into the the artistry. Right. Almost using them as an advertisement of yes. look what this can be. Yes. And I thought this woman spent hours, tireless hours, making these women, making these. The least I can do is to let the world see their work. Yeah. And it's my decision. That was my decision to let the world to advertise these amazing people's work. And so with that, I went and um, I thought about, you know, how I can maximize because, again, my resources and they were full size quilts. And I'm like, how can I get the most garments? So for one of the quilts, I got a blazer. I was able to create a blazer, a bomber jacket and a top out of the a pants quilt. Um, I was only able that was a smaller one to make just the pants. And what's interesting, I love it that you pointed out the yellow in the pants. Yeah. That's actually the lattice. That was the lattice work. And you really didn't see the lattice around the blocks because the blocks are about 14 inch blocks. They're huge blocks. That actually took me a whole year to figure out how to make those pants. I literally had to lay the quilt out and I lived in a condo, two story condo. And I would look over the banister to look at those because like, how do I not look like a table? Like, how do I lay these pants out? I found a pattern that had no side seam um, so that the, the blocks could be continuous. I and see. So I use that lattice work. And that's what I I really try to help my students in my workshop when we're working with quilt tops that they've made or ones they've purchased is how can we position our pattern pieces to bring interest right. to your your um, quilt or your you know fabric. Your garment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How can you figure that out? And, and that one was truly a puzzle. Okay. And so your feeling is that pretty strongly, it sounds like, is that 
quilt clothes are fabulous and are a way to sort of bring new people, uh, pique new people's interest and bring them into the world of quilting. Right. I mean, who would have thought I have a 26 year old and a 28 year old who, who were like, no, we want these jackets. My 28 year old goes to Hollywood in the music industry and wears his jacket that I made. And people are asking, Hey, where'd you get that jacket from? Yeah. Cause they're a bomber jacket, but they're, yeah. they have this like quilt block element. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're super cool. I think that's great. I think it's a great perspective to share um, and a great story. So I'm I'm really glad we had a chance to talk about that. And I know you recently moved to San Diego, correct? To be near your first grandchild. Yes, and so it was. It's a t- it's a pivot. Um, nobody knows this. Um, you'll be the first to know. Um, so it was a pivot. She was going to be here for a year. Her husband's a dentist. My son-in-law is a dentist in the Navy. And now they're in Japan. Oh. So um, I just went under contract. I just bought a condo in in um, Nashville. Oh, wow. You're moving far away. I know. Why Nashville? Was there some draw? Um, so I have another daughter that lives in Nashville. Um, I feel like the um the the community that part of the country um I'll be able to be even more creative um uh financially it's a better fit for me um and I just I've never lived in the south and as an african american I'm I'm really looking forward to living in the south and um experience all the south has to offer. Yeah, I think that's great. I've spent a little bit of time in Nashville. I lived in Mississippi for two years. And so I spent some time there and had a wonderful time. It is a super, obviously super creative city. So I think that's great. I'm very excited for you. I can't wait to see kind of the influence of Nashville on the work that comes next. Yeah, yeah. So this is, like I said, I really don't have a community there. I mean, I'm sure some of my followers are from there. So it's not like I don't have a community. But um yeah, I'm brand new. Yeah, really excited. Um, um, a little hesitant because I'm like this California girl and my progressive ways and <laughs> how I live life. I'm like, oh, I don't know if Nashville's ready for me. <laughs> I think Nashville, maybe you know, coming outside of Nashville, maybe not so much, but we'll see. I think Nashville itself will be pretty welcoming and progressive, but you'll have to let us know. And if, if listeners have um, tips for Sandra as to, you know, good fabrics, play, fabric stores to visit yeah. or other creative yeah. things, you know, let us know on Instagram because we would, you know, love, I'm sure you would love to start exploring. Yes. And thrift stores are my, my thrift my, stores. Yeah. I, best thrifting in Nashville. That's the recommendations oh. we need. Yes, 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 yes. So that's awesome. Um, so, so Sandra, I want to make sure we get to your list of recommendations. And you have a couple of really good one. Um, so you your first one is creating wall art using okay. repurposed denim and phrases that are relevant to today's time. So how are you creating the phrases? Okay, so literally, I'm listening to the news. Like, literally, it's about listening to the news. So for instance, um, I have a, a wall art quilt that says um, Black Power. Um, that came back from when I saw the marches and everybody marching and everything. And I'm like, I was, you know, that was my era, the Black Power sign and um, all that. And I was like, you know what? I want to do a retro. And I have a piece that I put together and it has Black Power. Um, I have a piece that says um, uh, Black Love. Uh, there's a TV show that talks about Black Love and it's... it's uh, couples and just about their love story. And I was like, you know what? 
you're always talking about, you know, we have all these shows about doom and gloom, and but I want to highlight, yeah. and I t- try to look at the glass half full, and I was like, you know, what does black love look like? And this happens to be um, a quilt that um, it's from, the fabric's from two different countries. One's from um, Canada, um, Northcott is the yeah. mm-hmm. main fabric, and then the side, uh, three of the, or four of the blocks are from Africa, the fabric's from Africa, and I love that, and I was like, that's what kind of, to me, black love represents. It's from people from all over that happen to be in this country considered black. Because even right. if you're Cuban, you're black. And what does that love look like? And how does that, you know, how does that work? Um, I used, uh, I saw a phrase that said, uh, Rosa, or it says, uh, yeah, Rosa sat so um, Ruby could walk so that... Carmela could run so that Kadisha could rule. Nice. And so that's one that will be coming out. I'm going to photograph it actually next month. I'll be down in Tampa. Um, I have a, uh, there's a, there's an exhibition that's coming out um, at one of the museums in Tampa. It's uh, Black Pioneers. And okay. There is Dr. Carolyn Munzlumi. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm one of the artists that. Oh, Wow going to travel it's now extended i think three years the, the pieces will be traveling um uh, nationally and internationally and so the opening and i'll be down in tampa uh around the 12th of september at the um the opening of the show nice that's awesome yes. oh wow that's a huge honor very cool um so I'll, I'll take a look out for it and see if we can you know include that in our newsletter and things like that that's that sounds great um, and then you also wanted to recommend the Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. Um, and you said it's a must read along with The Water Dancer by Tanahishi Coates. Yes. So I'm sorry. I am health, health, self-help guru. I love <laughs> like I'm always like, pour it into me, pour it into me. And it's so funny because I was in Canada at the quilt conference there where I taught um, uh, in June. And one of my students just you know, we were talking about, you know, anything, whatever. And she goes, did you know about this brain, brain, brain Brown and her new book? And I was like, oh, I have all the other books. And she goes, and she kind of looked at me like, you do? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a self-help person. And so um, I immediately looked at the book, got the book and was like, oh, my gosh, this woman, she studies basically humans and how we... um navigate her her big thing is and her phd is in leadership and she's the one when i started doing workshops and lecturing she talks about leading through um in like being transparent and how you, as a leader the more you're transparent the more people are going to lean into so if, when i stand up there and i tell you about the flaws or the mistakes that happened while I was making a piece and how I overcame those, you're going to lean in versus if I stand up there and say like, look at this piece, it's, you know, perfectly matched and look at the points are all perfect. You're going to be like, oh yeah, she's perfect. I can never be her. And um, so she's kind of how I model my philosophy on, on being um, transparent and and really having people lean into me. Um, And I love the book. Very good. The, um, the second book, um, the water dancer. The water dancer is just, um, it's like historic, but it's a fiction. And so it just talks about blacks in, in, in times where life was really hard. 
And it just talks, it, it just takes you through the life of these characters. And it's so rich in its, um, she's really good at painting the picture and really letting you see how the characters feel and how they um, live and exist. And it just made me really um, be thankful for the times that I live in and the people that have gone before me, mm. the path that they have really opened up for me because I have not had a hard life at all. That's a great recommendation. Thank you for that one. And then um, the third one you had is the Vimeo app to help create reels. And it's interesting, Vimeo has really expanded some of their offerings recently. For example, we use Vimeo to host um, the videos for our webinars. And now you can really easily make a GIF right there in Vimeo that you can then export and use, um, you know, in your email newsletter to say, hey, the recording's up, you know, and it's kind of active because it's like a GIF and people are moving. And, um, and, and that's been really helpful. I've been really impressed with some of the, I guess, the, the additions Vimeo has made to make their, their, um, their offerings a little more robust. So how do you use the app to help make reels? So I'm not, so again, <laughs> there's only 12 hours in a day. And sometimes you just like, I'm just like, Oh, I need to find a real, I need to do a post. And so fortunately um, when you have four kids, you know, something's got to come from it. And my oldest daughter, she actually majored in film and television, television in college. Oh, that's helpful. <laughs> so it was very helpful. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't really do my work, but she helps me. She'll show me like, here, mom, here's a quick way. And she's always talking about storyboard. Did you do a storyboard? And I'm just like, Oh, Kristen, <laughs> but she keeps me on track. And so that's what I, when I'm, and I, I'm really not great at slowing down and taking the pictures I need to take in order to do the video. But, um, I like it that it's easy to use. So it's operator easy. You don't have to know a lot of stuff or, you know, understand a lot of things. Um, and then what I do is I follow other people. I'll look at other people's reels and I'll imitate like, Oh, wait, they did this scene first and then they did that scene second. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Is you don't have to recreate and try to figure out how to do it. Definitely not. Yeah. Just right. Just riff on riff on other people's good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, they started with fabric and then they went to this and they went to that. Do the same thing. Just make it your own. Right. And so that would be my um, suggestion. Um, find an app that works for you that you understand because all apps are not created the same. So whatever way your brain thinks, work with that one. Remember that it's an hors d'oeuvre. It's not a main meal. So you just want to put a little taster in there. You don't try to put the whole, here's how I started and here's... Oh, I love that way of thinking about it as an hors d'oeuvre. That's a great way to think about reels. Very good. Yeah. So again, um, I know we're supposed to post regularly. If people know, I have been really bad at posting lately. I have been in this funk. Um, I have a ton of photos. Um, I have um, a photographer that ha- I'm so blessed that she'll shoot my stuff for me, all my projects, um, and then I have to put them together. So I've kind of been in a funk, but I'm going to get out of that funk because I'm ready again to get back into social media and start posting regularly. Um, again, it's not easy. And I hope the audience realizes that. I mean, I'm sure you know, you have to come up with the idea. And Oh, it's a ton of work. It's a whole nother job, which is why for me, we hire somebody else to do it because we have Meg on our team who's awesome. Meg does the Instagram. And, and the reason for that is, is many fold. But one of them is because, yeah, it just takes too much 
time and it's very hard to do well, um, you know, quickly. You just can't. No, no. And just for me, I'm, I'm really, I'm not a big, like when people say, well, what was the thought behind that? I don't know. I'm like, I just woke up and I did it. I do so many things. So much is spontaneous and just comes into my head um, or some research that I did five years ago. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I researched that. And then I know about this and this is happening right now. And I put them all together. Um, so, but when you do a post, you know, it has to tell a story and people have to be able to follow it. Um, so yeah, if anybody knows of anybody that's good at posting, yeah. I'm looking somebody also. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. I, I hear you like writing the caption, even the whole story, the, yeah. the whole thing It's it's time intensive. And, um, and yet we, we feel like in this day and age, we have to do it. So, um, yeah, I recommend hiring it out if, and when you can, it's, it's, it's a relief for me for sure. Yes. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you. You are um, amazing. Um, I've always, of course, we touched base years ago um, when I did the one-on-one with you and you did some coaching and you were like, well, Sandra, why don't you do this? Well, you know that person. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So I always think back to um, our first, you know, actually talking to each other and you are definitely inspiration for me. Love everything you guys do. And um, I'm so glad that you're in the space that you're in to help people and to guide others, uh, creative people. And I just want to thank you for doing what you do. Oh, thank you, Sandra. That's awesome. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Craftsy. Whether you're new to making or looking to advance skills and a favorite hobby, Craftsy is the place to learn. With over 1,500 classes, there's something for everyone, from knitting and sewing to baking and cooking, gardening, embroidery, quilting, and more. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a full year of Craftsy Premium Membership for just $3. That's 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Thank you so much, Craftsy. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time. Bye.